Good morning. Uh, we'll be continuing through Luke this morning. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting how things change. You know, before the time change, you get all these warnings. Businesses have your sign up. Your, you know, your work might even give you a little flyer. Hey, time change is coming up. And now because of, you know, all these technological advances of your iPhone and everything, um, they don't give you a warning because your phone just does it anyways, right? I was thinking it might be better. I might enjoy it more if I didn't know it was coming. I wouldn't have known I lost an hour this morning. I probably would have just been a little tired or something, and maybe by midday realizing, man, the sun's not going down on time or something, but I wouldn't have caught it if I didn't know better. You know, like, besides your what, your car? I don't know. My car's older. Maybe some of you guys have a newer car where your car clock even updates, you know, but there's not many things, you know, even though we have 20 clocks in our house because Heidi likes clocks, they're usually off time anyways, but, you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting, so I appreciate you guys uh, being here this morning, um, and nonetheless on time, um, but yeah, it's kind of just interesting when you, you look at things and the things that change, I was kind of preparing, um, as you prepare and kind of use illustrations and you start to realize, man, I'm old, there's a lot of these illustrations that the kids won't even have a clue what I'm talking about, <laughs> like, uh, maybe regear that a little. Um, but we'll be continuing in Luke. We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 12. We'll be starting in verse 13. If you'd turn there in their Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one. So we'll be going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we'll be in Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 13. And we'll give, begin with prayer. Dear God, we do just thank you for your word. We thank you for just that we can live in truth, Father. That we can live just this full life, that we have everything we need freely given to us, that you take joy in giving us everything you need, Father, and that you would just meet our needs this morning, speak to our hearts, Father, just um, just renew, uh, just take the blinders off our eyes and the things that just would uh, hinder us from seeing you and your word this morning and who you are, Father, and what you desire to do in our lives this morning. Just that we would see you clearly and know your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through Luke, and as we've kind of looked at, Jesus was at this dinner party, and he wasn't being the, um, the guest anybody would like. It was more like a show. And so you had the Pharisees, the scribes there, people of prominence. And Jesus comes in. He doesn't wash his hands, so it throws the whole thing up. It was kind of like the red carpet, you know, going into a award ceremony, and Jesus doesn't walk the red carpet or look at the cameras. He just cruises in, so everybody's kind of freaking out, and he calls them all out. He starts calling the Pharisees out and, and talking about how their hypocrisy and even, you know, one of the scribes kind of speak up at a point, and so he explains to them, hey, man, the hypocrisy that was going on. These guys were more, more worried about what men thought and men's opinion than what God thought. And they were really focused on that. And this morning, we kind of come into this next section. We're going to see this man who interrupts Jesus. He's talking. So Jesus was in this, this dinner party, and it erupts into this argument. They're arguing with him. He comes out. The crowd's running like a fight's begun, right? And so the crowd's gathering. He comes out, and, and he starts to talk to even his disciples and those saying, hey, be aware of hypocrisy it's like leaven it's sin it it grows be aware of desiring these things even yourself and so as he's addressing a crowd we're going to pick it up where this man kind of interrupts um, Jesus as he's talking to the crowd here but so we kind of have the hypocrisy right here and and the danger of being you know putting on a show for men and to be liked of men and what men think and be focused on those things more than what God thinks and what he desires. And then on the other hand, um, we see covetry and worry come in. And it's kind of, to me, it's, they all fall together and it may be more in different levels. I was watching, um, kind of like, I mean, I, I like more the History Channel type stuff. I was watching this, uh, this little series called The Men Who Built America. And it was going through these men of industry that helped design, you know, our infrastructure for money and wealth and everything from kerosene to putting it on trains and the battles they had over controls and rights and, you know, if you could ship the kerosene on a rail compared to pipelining it and the different energy and everything that went around and along with these things and and how they made their money and they were really 
very um, men that were, you know, very anxious at times. And, and very, you know, worrisome about things and very covetousness. But as they got older and older and they obtained huge amounts of wealth to where there wasn't really too much more you can compete to. You were hitting, if you would, the, 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 the top of what you could receive. Suddenly their opinion as, as society started to change and started to attack them for things and some of their business practices that were not truthful or whatever, and they start getting sued, you see these men be, now turn around and they start to do give money to the poor. And they started to do all these things and build opera houses and all this, you know, giving away of their money. And it be almost the competition went from who had the most money and the most power to who was giving away the most, who was known the most. And it really came to their name and their legacy and, and very much, you know, you kind of look at the hypocrisy is what comes. You know, you see men with plenty of wealth and, and, and money where that's not a thing, and suddenly it's more important about what people think. And, and I think that kind of goes along with society as a whole as well um, when you look at different cultures over the world and, and things. So you have kind of these men that have everything that, that were at the top where they really didn't worry about the food they ate and what they had. And then you have Jesus talking to this crowd, and now the subject becomes into coveting the things you don't have. Or, or looking for something greater, and then even worry and anxiety and worrying about our needs. And really, when you look at it, I, I, you see hypocrisy and sin, but really coveting after other things and, and anxiety is probably the greatest thief in our culture of the blessings of God that steals the blessing of this relationship and walking away from God in our lives, you, you look at us as a nation and our wealth is, is tremendous. There is not many kings in the time when this was written that would have as many luxuries as you. Even the poorest among us had more luxuries. Um, I can think back, in, and there are times, and I'm sure um, young, your younger people even than me even talk to some of the older generation, you'll find out that there was times when you could go to the store and you could not buy strawberries. They were out of season. You, you couldn't just get whatever you know, fresh food you wanted. There was seasons for watermelon. There was a season for this and that. And restaurants would change their menu based on those seasons. You notice now, you can go to the store all year round. You'll get strawberries. Who knows what part of the world they came from, but somewhere they're growing them and they're you can buy strawberries. They're not as cheap, maybe as good or fresh, but they're there, right? And so you start to look at, you know, some of the stuff, and it's amazing what's available to us as a culture and how spoiled we're on in that, and yet how, how much anxiety we have and how much it's still not enough, and we're always looking for more, and that really drives our world and our kind of our worldview. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 here. So Luke chapter 12, verse thir- uh, 13, and... Um, it says, so Jesus is there, the crowd's there, and he, now he gets interrupted. It says, then one, of, one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his, the inheritance with me. So their parent has passed away, there's an inheritance, and this guy feels he's getting an unfair shake, and says, hey, teacher, come on, judge for us here. Tell me, you know, tell my brother, hey, what's up here? Right, and... Um, I know you guys, as parents, have never had your children do this. They don't come to you and say, hey, you know, tell my sister or my brother anything. They're always very, you know, just the opposite of that. You know, like, oh, by the way, I need to give my sister more. No, we're naturally this way. And it wouldn't be um, odd for this to happen, being Jesus, being a rabbi. That would come, and you would come to a rabbi, and you would ask for his judgment in these situations. And... Um, it's kind of sad, though. Here you have Jesus, and here's your chance to talk to him. And that's what you want to talk about is, hey, tell my brother he's wrong. You're like, hey, you know, solve this family dispute. You know, and I mean, these disputes still go on. You know, I was, I was listening to things, and, and you sit down, and um, you know, some of these pastors talking about, you know, I've seen whole families destroyed in the church and divided over grandma's cuckoo clock from 
Germany that they thought this person should get, and they went in there when he was she was sick, and she wasn't all there, and got it right in, a, and you know, whole families destroyed over a cuckoo clock, or you know, some of the inheritance things, and and so this is going on, and then, and so they ask this question. Jesus responds in verse fourteen. He says, "But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Like, why why am I needing to judge this? Right? Who, who made me judge over you?" And he kind of ends up giving this guy a judgment, but it's not the judgment he wanted over who gets what, right? And he goes, okay, we'll kind of solve this. You know, and, and again, it wouldn't have been uncommon for, you know, your, your rabbi or somebody to make this judgment or a judgment call along these lines. And, and it's just always interesting where this is put. I mean, you got this crowd, all this is going on, and this guy... I mean, you think of everything going on. There's like this fight, this crowd rises. Jesus is talking about hypocrisy and all this. And this guy is sitting there worried about being a hypocrite? No. Out of the whole crowd, he's worried about what I'm going to get and my half of what my brother has. And if I can get Jesus, of course he's going to listen to Jesus, right? Nobody's not going to, you know. If I get Jesus on my side, we're done, you know. You're not like we've ever done that with our spouses, you know. Be praying about something. I'm going to get Jesus on my side. I'm going to find a scripture and correct my spouse, you know. There's got to be a way in the scripture. God says, I need a Carvette. No, I mean, whatever. But it's kind of funny. But it's just interesting that here he's missing all what's going on. It's just, it, it's so kind of odd in there, this, this question. And so Jesus responds to him. And he, and he says, in verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And so he breaks it down. It, it, it's the real problem here isn't who has how much of what. It's your heart and where it's at and being covetous. And, and it doesn't speak of, you know, life is more than this. And if anybody could have authority on this, it would be Jesus. You think he kind of has it twofold. Being fully man, right? Joseph has passed away. Him being the oldest son, he would have had. Joseph's business, Joseph's land, all that inheritance would have gone. In the Hebrew culture, the oldest son got the property and the land and the majority of the inheritance, the rest of it. They got half. The rest of the the, the kids would be given a split their half. So he'd get 50% of it all. And Jesus has left all that. He's left the carpenter. I don't know if he passed it on to James or whatever. He's left all that being fully man. And so he has, I guess you would say, authority upon authority because he has that man and he is a you know you see him thirsting and hungry and all that and he denied all this business and everything else the the property he didn't sell it for an advantage you know you you see him you know when he needs tax money it's showing up in a fish he he didn't even he goes hey show me a coin you know show me a penny he didn't even have that on him right and then at the same time upon authority because he is fully god he is fully god and you talk about an inheritance that he has laid aside, given up to come and sacrifice his life for us to take his inheritance and now give it to us as co-heirs, as children of God through the sacrifice he made. Now we have this inheritance. And I love it as we go through, as we went through the Lord's Prayer and just that word, our Father, to be able to call the God of all creation our Father because of what Jesus was willing to lay aside his right what was just he was willing to lay aside for us. And as we go through, you're going to see again, our Father provides our needs. Our Father, that we get to even say that is amazing. You know, you think of the Jewish culture where they couldn't even say the name of God. They didn't want to even put the vows in it. And we get to come to him as our Father. And so Jesus has great authority in this, being able to talk into this situation. He says, hey, the, the real problem in your heart is covetousness. You know, and then he spoke to them in verse 16. It says, then he spoke to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yelled plentiful, yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room in my, to store my crops? And he said to them, I will do this and I will put down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take heed, or take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
And you see how many times it says, I will, I will, my, I will, my. And it's interesting to think this guy has made these plans and he's done it. And, and again, farming is not easy. There's work involved with it. But depending on the weather and everything else, there's a lot of things that depends on to have a good crop. Right? And to have a plentiful crop. And a lot of those things are directly from God. You can't control the weather. You can't control the rain. You, know, you can prepare the soil to a point. But there's a lot that goes on that you're, you know, it's a, a blessing from God to even have a crop. And so this man, he, he, he's already a rich man. And then he has a huge plentiful crop. And so he already has more than he needs. He's rich already. He has more than he needs. And so he's thinking, man, I'm going to store all this up. I'm going to set. I'm going to be set for life. Uh, you know, I'll get to this point and my soul's going to be happy, and, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things, we, we sit there and we kind of lay up our plans, and I, have you ever heard the thing, um, and sadly, I, I can think of people that have, have, um, I've met later in their life that have gotten to this point, you ever see a child, you know, or the story where there's a child and he can't wait, he just cannot wait to be like his older brother, he wants so bad to have an iPhone, I would say a bike. See, that's old school. So now it's, you know, kids don't care about bike. They can't wait to be able to be old enough to get an iPhone, you know, and be able to get online like their older brother. And they can't wait to do that, can't wait to do it. And then, and then they see, oh, their, their, their brother's now graduated. I can't wait to be done with school and be graduated. And I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get there. And then I, then I can't wait to get my first car. I want to get a car finally. And, well, maybe that's probably after a job and marriage these days. But no, anyways, you know, a license and a car. I can't wait to get my first first car, you know, and, and they can't wait to do that, and then, then once, you know, I, I can't wait to get a good job and be done with college and get this career I've always wanted, and then I can't wait to get married, and then, then you're married, and, and you have your family and everything, and then I can't wait to, to retire, and then you're stuck there, can't waiting to what? I can't wait to die, to pass away. You know, this push, this push, and this rush, and they miss out all the way on life and the purpose of life. And very much this guy, I got all these things, I'm finally there. And then verse 20 comes and says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your very soul will be required of you. Then those will, or then whose will those things be which you have provided? Here he's pushed all the way to this point, and he's got this thing, and he's, he's finally feels like, Oh, I've arrived, I've gotten everything my desire are met and he won't even be able to enjoy them even that very day his soul is required of him and it's one of those things you sit down and and you look at and you look at this account and, and very much in our culture we get so busy going our world is ran by covenantness it sells you know what i mean there's a reason Cars look different every year. They like to change them and tweak them just a little every year. You know, they, they, why? Because it sells. It's not new anymore. It's not as shiny. They don't care if the last model ran better and, look, you know, ran great. No, it's got to look a little better, a little different. We've got to change something on it, you know, to, to, to go that little thing. And, you know, here this man has not considered God in anything he's done, and even his soul he thought was his. He was mistaken. His, his soul isn't his. You know, the Bible says, the man who wishes to gain his life will lose it, and the man who loses his life for my sake will gain it. You know, um, it's interesting to see, you know, the second most common song played at a funeral, which this might shock you. It was a little shocking to me, because um, generally I'm around believers and being raised in the church, it wasn't the song, but it's by Frank Sinatra. Is it the thing? You know what it is? I did it my way. I disagree. You wouldn't be there in a casket if you did it your way. You'd still be here. I mean, right? I did it all my way. You know? And, and it, it's, it's sitting there. So this guy did it all his way, but now he's lost it all. Now his sons are probably sitting there arguing with Jesus, you know? And you sit there. This guy had everything. He was well. He was rich. He had everything he needed. And... I can't believe you passed away. Isn't he in the obituary? And you go down and you're looking, Bob, no, this, no, and this, that. Oh, fool, there he is. The fool's there. It's interesting when you look at these things and you consider, and, and, and very, you know, if you would, convicting as we sit down and we kind of look at some of these things. 
And you think of what is important? What am I living for? What is my direction? Am I coveting? Am I, uh, am, have I ever had enough? You know, you take some of the richest men and they, they're always, you know, you always say, what's, what's one more, what's enough? Just one more dollar. They're, they're never satisfied. There, there's always one more. There's always one more thing, one more thing. And it's never met. Verse 21, and it says, And so he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Not to say riches are bad, not to say those things are bad, but if you do not consider, if you're not rich towards God and what he considers, then you're in trouble. You're, you're going to lose your very soul. It's going to be required of you instead of given away. You know, our souls, we choose to trust them and entrust them to God. You know, they're freely given because the gift that was given to us. But where do you lay up your treasure? What are you focused on? You know, it, it's um, Matthew nine nineteen says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where no, neither moths nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, this, this world we live in sells covenantness. Here, look at this. This is better. And not even just in material things. Right? One of the biggest dating websites are for married people. Go cheat. Why? Coveting. You know, it, 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 it's, it's sad to say, you know, you, people look at other things, they desire other things, and it doesn't even matter what they have. You know, you sit, sometimes you sit at a situation and go, why do you, how, how do you even think that's better. And most of the things we covet, we don't even know the reality of it. You know, you look at the people that have had money, the, you know, you, you look at the, you know, the people with fame, money, and all this. They're so happy. That's why they never go to drug rehab. That's why they never commit suicide. You just see them living, and they're around forever. They're, ne- you know, miserable. Miserable. They're not, you know, you look at some of the stuff that came out, some of the Things on, man, Michael Jackson's life and these people, they're not happy. They're just straight-out destruction. Just horrible, horrible lives. But yet, how many people would have revered him, would have coveted what he had and his talent and everything he, you know, was with with? And, you know, when you slow down, you look at things. It was kind of challenging this week when you look at all the stuff, and I'm thinking, how much do I really need? I'm telling Heidi, I said, yeah, we can move into a trailer. I don't think we need all this. You know, if if... You know, you start to look and go, well, I don't need this, I don't need that, and if I got rid of all that, I wouldn't need this, and the whole back half of my lot we don't need, basically, and then if I'm not doing this, I don't, you know, there's a lot of things I just don't need, and they take a lot of time, and, and um, yeah, you just, you kind of look at it and go, man, I could travel a lot lighter, you know, and, and at the same time, it's like, okay, but, you know, a lot of these things are blessing for other people, my kids need somewhere to live and everything, and so... Me and Heidi are going to lope and take off, and we're just not going to tell anybody. But, you know, we'll just be living out here, and the kids can take the house. Told me, I told Abigail this week, I said, Hunt, girl, you know, you guys get old enough. In three years, you guys will be old enough. I'm just going to rent it, rent it to you guys and pay the payment, and we'll leave. You can take it all, you know. <laughs> take care of it. You can mow it, whatever. We're happy. No. But you, you kind of look at it and go, what, what do we really need? You know, where do I actually spend my time? I, you know. As long as I got somewhere to sleep and it's dry and there's a heater, I'm happy, you know. Just, you know, and I prefer to do that more and more often than, than I don't get to lately. Maybe that's part of getting old. But, you know, travel light, you know. And, and, and in the light of what heaven is, when you slow down and you look at heaven in there, it, it's amazing. Could you imagine, we all do this, and, and not to say wealth isn't good. I mean, Proverbs says we should store up. A wise man sees the danger coming and, and pre- prepares for it. You know, if there's going to be an earthquake or something, it's not wrong to have some water bottles and some preparation, maybe some food. You know, maybe not, uh, you know, ten buses welded together under your house and an arsenal, you know. Have some supplies. Maybe even have a little extra supplies. You know, I, I, I have a couple of guns, but, you know, would I actually turn around and shoot my neighbor if they're coming to look for water? I mean, no, I'd rather have some extra water, you know. 
And, and you kind of look at those things, you know. So if you're a prepper in here, I'm, I'm sorry, you need to pray about, you know, what point would you, would you want to survive, number one? If it's that bad, would you want to be around that long? Heaven's a good trade-off, I think. God, I ran out of food and water. You're not providing anymore. Come get me already, you know. Let you guys deal with the mess behind. But um, you, you look at those things and, and you slow down and, and you think about what's important. If you, you know, you guys do this with a kid. You get a, your child and they save up so much money, right? And they want to buy this thing. They're going to spend all their money on this thing. And you know, it's only going to give them happiness for a little while. You know, whatever it is, a computer or whatever, this thing. It's only going to give them happiness for a little while. They, they definitely have a view of what the happiness this is going to bring, bring them way more than they're going to get from it. And the reason you know this is because you've done it. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's a thing, but you need to spend some money on some of your needs. And if you spend all your money on that, you're not going to have the money you need. Right? So take care of your needs, and then if you have some left over there, right? Well, the, the Bible isn't saying, well, you, all wealth is bad, but it says keep in mind heaven and where your treasure is. Just as much as it's foolish for a 10-year-old to waste all his money on something that he might have other needs he needs to take care of and not save anything for college, for a car, or anything else, you know, it would be just as foolish for us to focus on this world and not be focused on an inheritance and a retirement beyond this world. You know, this isn't it. This is, this is, this is still grade school. There's going to be an after high school period or after this world period where you're going to actually be grown-ups? No. And you see and you look at this. So something to consider, and, and not to say it isn't wise to save and, and there aren't needs, but where your heart is. Where is your heart with those things? Verse 22, it says, And then he said to his disciples, Before I say, before I say to you, do not worry about your life and what you'll eat or your, about your bo- the body or what you will put on. So he goes from coveting, desiring what other people have, now to worry. The, this word worry, um, we, we get for kind of old, old English words, means to strangle. To worry something out means to choke it out. To strangle it out. And, and really that's what worry becomes to your life. It, it really strangles you out, right? Um, and, and we're told not to worry about your life. What an awesome thing. Do not worry. We get to not worry. You know, I, I love the scripture because God never says, do not do this, nanner, 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 you can't do that. No, he says, do not do this. Then he gives us power and the ability to not do that. Right? And it says, do not worry about what you're going to eat, nor about your body or what you're going to put on. I, I was just curious looking at stuff. I mean, the, the prescription numbers are way more than this, what people are treated for with prescriptions for anxiety in the U.S., but in the U.S., there's about 40 million Americans, basically 18% of the population, that are, they call, have the medical disorder of anxiety. Okay? In the United States. And even though we're, this anxiety basically rests in, in a couple things. Safety, your health, and your finances. That's what they're mostly anxious about. Okay, And yet, here we have this country that is very affluent. And this goes out through the world. I was called, okay, so that's America. And so there's, here's all this anxiety we have about our health that, and, and our safety and our finances, right? And, and so you kind of look at stuff. And so I, I kind of went to looking at what was the country with the least anxiety in the world. And you start looking up online. Well, well, Niger is the country with the least anxiety in the population. And, of course, those numbers are kind of hard because there's not a lot of medical assessment, all that. But that's what they're saying. They're saying Niger is, is the rest. And, like, rural areas of China have the less, least anxiety. And the most is Australia and the United States. And I'm thinking, wow, what do you think the number one cause of death in Niger is? A cold, a common cold, and the second one is malnutrition. Kind of catching what's going on here, right? Guess what the most, one of the, well, at least by this website, the most common cause of death in the United States is? 
Heart disease, generally from bad diet of eating too much junk. I mean, here we are the most anxious nation, and we're not even anxious about what we eat. You know, we're not going to freeze to death. We're not, I mean, we're not going to die of the common cold. And yet, what, we're, what we have of abundance of, what people are more anxious about is our security, our health, and these things. It's not because of a lack of food or a lack of what we have, but here it's in the abundance of it. Here this anxiety grows and, and this worry grows, and it's kind of, um, it's just like, wow, you know, you slow down, you look at it, and as a culture, that's us. We're covetous and we're anxious. You know, how many people sell things based on anxiety? Right? Oh, let's, let's give you this for anxiety, or this is going to take care of this, or invest in this financial thing because we're going to protect you, or whatever it is. You're willing to, I mean, and we have a generation because of the fear of having to go through something hard, we'll give up all kinds of freedom for it. You know, if you, if you could, you know, I know, I guarantee you, if you could say, tell somebody, hey, we'll put you in a box, we'll make sure you have food and water for the rest of your life, and you can get on the internet, they would, they would gladly trade living in the real world and the freedom for the rest of their life to live in that box. If you told them, hey, you're going to be there, you're going to be safe forever. I mean, they'd, they'd do it. And, and it's, you know, a scary kind of cultural shift when we look at those things. And it says, in verse 23, though, we get the answer why we do not need to worry. It says, life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap which have neither storehouse nor barn, God feeds them. How much more val- more value are you than the birds? Now, birds, they don't worry. They're not have store barns and stuff, but they do work. You see birds, they're out working, they're out pecking stuff all day. They're going around. So it's not saying, hey, you know, just sit there. It's not like he compared it to a bird that just sits there with its mouth up to the heavens, you know, and worms fall in, you know. But he also, he didn't compare us to a squirrel, you're right. If you wanted to talk about something animal that looks anxious, right? Squirrels burying nut, hiding nut, moving around, carrying nut. You know, they, poor little squirrels. Maybe we can get them some peels. You know, can't even cross the road safely anymore, right? A bird would just fly right over it. I mean, anyways. Side note, but you you look at that, and you know, it is wise to store up. It is wise to work, but to be anxious about those things, to worry about those things. You know, one of the, the hardest things I think I've ever ran into um, helping people out and, and stuff is, is those who've, who've struggled with anxiety bad. And, and they'll, they'll end up going to drugs to numb it or something like that. But, I mean, here, here, here they're, you know, the, the anxiety that has, you know, whatever trauma and things have caused it. But here they're a solid person, this and that. But, and, and they don't have any problems, but they're so worried. Every little pain in their chest is a heart problem, everything, and it just consumes them with if they're alive and how they're breathing, and you know everything becomes this fear, and, and, and they're anxious about it, and it's the hardest thing to see because they're battling something that doesn't even exist. There, there's nothing there. You're fighting and punching against the air. They're worrying about something that, that has no... Nothing. There's no value to it. There's there's no consequence of it. It's 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 fighting with a ghost. Nothing that exists, and, and just you know trying to help them walk through that and look at it. And here's God, and He loves you. And there's you know all of us can deal with some kind of anxiety to a point. You know, you get in a certain situation and you end up anxious. You know, some people when they get anxious, they get angry. Some people get quiet. Some people talk too much. When I get in a situation or a conversation, I feel anxious or odd. I talk too much, by the way. So if I'm, that's me being anxious, and I drive everybody nuts. But that, that's how I deal with it, you know, being anxious about a situation or in, in a rough situation. There's all kinds of things, but there are some people where it's totally debilitating. And we don't have to. Why? Here's the answer why we don't. Because God even cares for us. You look at the birds of there. God cares for it. All creation. How much does God care for? Last week we were looking at God knows the number of your head, hairs on your head. Not that he knows exactly what amount of numbers you have, but he numbered them. You know, like, so you lost 134 last week and then another. And, you know, he knows you that well, that intimately. He knows us that well and he loves us and he cares for you even more than the birds of the air and those things he Knows you. He loves you. 
In verse 25, it says, and, and which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Or, or even a little better kind on that translation is one step to your life. Not height. They didn't play basketball back then, so nobody was worried about how tall you were or weren't. You know, but it, it kind of has that ideal. How, how can you extend your life even one step, even one footstep? By worrying. Is there any way you're going to do that? You know, no matter how influential you have or whatever, the only thing, there's a couple guaranteed things you have no control over in this world. One thing is, what? When you were born. The other thing is, when you die. You have no control over that. And that day is known. God has a plan for it. And the Bible, he says, if, then, if you then are not able to do the least... Why are you anxious for the rest? If your day, when you die, God knows when that's going to happen. He's either going to require your soul of you, or he's going to take you. And I've talked about um, you know, Genesis 1-1 being my, one of my favorite verses, because you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and if you can get over that, life's pretty easy. It leaves all kinds of arguments out, and anxious, and worry, right? When God loves you, and he's created everything, right? Another verse that is really... Um, Bless me and been a comfort and, and thing. Turn with me to um, John 14. Just John 14, verse 1. You turn there. John 14, verse 1 says, Let your heart not be troubled. You believed, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples before his crucifixion. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If there was not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now, when I found out I had cancer and was going through that and praying, you know, that's the scripture God gave me. That's not the scripture you want. You want, you know, miraculous healing. He made the blind. This is the scripture God gave me. But it is such a comfort to realize, you know, God, as a believer, is preparing a place for you. He is preparing a place just for you. And when it is time, he is going to go come get you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. You're not going to die. As a believer and having a relationship with Christ, he is going to come get you, and he's going to receive you. He is, he is waiting to come get you. It's not you're waiting to die. He knows that hour. He knows when he's waiting. He desires you to be with him, and he can't wait for it. That, that day's coming. He's going to come and receive you. It's not, oh, I died of this. As a believer, it's never, oh, this took my life. Well, the truth is, God came and took me home. And when you really slow down and think of that, this thing, what can you worry about? That day when God's going to come and get you, you cannot change. And worrying is not going to change a darn thing. You know, you hear, you know, wor- worries like uh, a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but you don't go anywhere. Back and forth, back and forth, you know. Those of us who are kids know you can get them to move a little ways. Just a lot of work. But, you know, you, you look at these things. He continues and says, you know, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They nor toil, nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God's clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you O you of little faith. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And what's amazing is you think this would be a harder concept if we were standing in a third world country. Right? God's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. And yet we have this abundance and we worry about it. We worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to have, how we're going to do this, how we're going to take care of that. Then we get the stuff that we think we need to take care of us, and then we've got to protect it so somebody else doesn't get it. And then we've got to cover it, and we've got to build a bigger barn for it, put another roof over it. And, we, you, know, and, and you think of all the, 
all the sin that even comes out of that. If you're worried about what you have, well, then I, then I can justify, you know what, I'm going to do this little thing. I know it isn't totally right, but, you know, 15 minutes on my time card is not a big deal, right? Oh, oh, you know what, you know, I, I really want what such and such has. So if I can just get, right, those two things, covetousness and, and worry, cause a lot of other sin, don't they? And you look at covetousness, right? Paul said in Romans, I went through the checklist of the Ten Commandments. I haven't murdered. I haven't done this. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't this. But the last one got him. Which one was that? You cannot cover. It's real easy to see if somebody's stolen, right? You have something that's stolen. Or if you've committed murder. That's an obvious thing. That's an act, right? The last commandment, thou shalt not covet, is what? It's all about the heart. In that, if, if your heart's there, you've blown all the rest. Like if, well, I've coveted somebody else's wife, well, why would you murder somebody? Well, unless you have a mental illness. It's because you covet what they have, you want what they have, you're, right? You're worried about them getting your stuff. I mean, the world runs on it. We have wars over it. You look at these things, they drive this world. Verse 29, it says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. You think of the world and how it operates, and it's all based on those things. You know, I, 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 um, when I ran a roofing company for another company at the time when it was bigger, and I'd look at employees, people coming in for a job, you know, not believers, always my thing was what drives them? What, why do they get up to go to work in the morning? It's always important, right? Why do they get up to go to work? What, what do they like to do? What is your hobby? That's, that's a bigger thing of where you worked and what you did before. I want to know, even over talking to your previous employer, I want to know what your hobby is. Well, you know, I just like hanging out with the guys, you know. We go over to the sports club bar and, yeah. He's a drinker, you know. What do you like to do? Oh, man, I like to go fishing. Okay, so there's going to be a couple Mondays. You're going to be out fishing still or you're going to leave early on a job to go out fishing. Okay, I can, I can deal with that. There's something that runs them. What, what's your deal? I like to go fishing or I'm about my family. You know, and you can see it. And, you know, some men, you, you see it. They're about their family and stuff, and they get preoccupied by things. They get stressed out, and they, you know, whatever harm is caused in their relationship, and that goes, and, you know, man, this, he's getting divorced. He's, he's not going to be around long. I know we have years in this. He's a foreman. He's been trusted. But now he's, he's in the middle of a divorce. It's over. You've got to be prepared. This guy's not going to. And 99% of the time, they're done. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a guy in a relationship. What do they live for? What drives them? We know what those world lives for and drives. It's obvious, but this awesome verse. Love this verse, verse 30, right? It says, for all these things the nations seek after, and your are, mine and yours, Father knows what you need, that you need these things. When you know what your child needs, is there anything you don't give them, especially if you have an unlimited resource? Right? When we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, our Father knows. Pray for the things you need. God has no limit of resources and wants to bless them. Wants to bless us. He's our Father. He knows what you need. Anybody want to trade that security prop for anything else? Want to trust, you know, 401k over the Lord? I mean, I mean it's, it's not logical, right? But we do it. It's totally unlogical to trust anything besides, look, God's our Father, and he knows what you need. Verse 31 says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. You know, you kind of you look at these things, and, and you go, okay, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things added unto you. Now, I've, I've known men that have gone to this extreme. I'm just going to serve the Lord 24 hours, and they, God will provide it. It lasts a couple months until you know, it runs out. No, you've got to work, and sometimes God provides through other ways and stuff, you know. But the ideal is seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, I think sometimes we can kind of put a checklist, you know. It's like, you know, 
is God to be first in our lives? No. He shouldn't be first in our lives. In your marriage, you should honor God. In your workplace, you should be honoring God. In ministry, you should be honoring God. In every aspect of your life, God should be not a, a checklist. Like, okay, I've got God on the top of the list. Now, now I've taken care of God. I've done my devotions today, and I've done this and this. Now I need to make sure my wife's okay. Now I need to make sure my kid's okay. Now I need to make sure my, I'm doing a good job with my boss. And then I need to make sure I'm... No. We should be honoring God in that the whole focus should be different. We should have a different mindset of a different kingdom. A different way of thinking. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that steals us from God's blessing and enjoying these things where we are anxious and we're covetous is, is this in our generation over all kinds of sin. And you look at, many times there are times when you look back through church history and you see these believers and you go, how could they have done fill in the blank? Look back at the Israelites. How could they have done, worshipped Moloch? How could they have taken children and put them on an altar to a, a God and burned their kids? And considered themselves to be anything to do with God and the living God. I mean, how did they have that blind spot? I'd say this is the blind spot we have in our culture today. This is the thing that will steal us and rob us of that joy in a relationship and will miss out on the blessings of God is the fact that we are worrying and we're covetous and we're not focused on the kingdom of God and what's to come. We're too focused on the here and now. You know, I always, I've joked around with people and, and I think we're like the, the cat generation actually in America. You get that little red laser light and you start moving it around and you get that cat almost to run into anything and get it running in a bathtub of water. Trust me, I've done it. But, you know, they'll chase that light, and, and there's nothing there. There's nothing they're ever going to get. You know, and you can do it for hours. They'll chase that little laser light, and, and it's, they're never going to obtain it. You know, I haven't seen a cat smart enough to come up and kick your butt and take the little laser pen out of your hand, right, and run off with it. Maybe you guys will prove me wrong on YouTube later or something, but I just haven't seen it, you know. We're so busy with the little shiny object that we miss out on what God's doing so much. We're so worried about what we have and what we're going to do or if we lose it. You know, you imagine if you came and, and you gave your, your child a new bike, right? He's got the, the bike, and it's not even a good bike. It's not even what he needed. It's a really nice bike. You know, it's got more gears than he needs. It's going to last him a long time, you know. And he goes, oh, this is an awesome bike. I was like, oh, cool, so you're going to go out and ride with your friends? No, I might scratch it. I'm going to keep it in my bedroom. I'm not going to ride it. We're going to put it there. I'm going to cover it up, protect it. I don't want to hurt it, Dad. Well, if I take it out front, it could get scratched. And then he's out front, and he's so nervous about what could hurt his bike. Would that grieve you? You're like, man, I'm like, just, just enjoy it. It's okay. We, you know, that's what it's meant for. The other thing that would be grievous is you get that thing, he opens it up and goes, yeah, well... You know, it's not a car. I got to pedal it. Doesn't got an electric battery on it. It's not, you know. No, it's everything you need. You're only 10. You don't need a car. A car would be bad. It's a bike. You know, I'm worried about you getting scuffed on it. For, you know, but we can do that with God. We can look at all these huge blessings we have and go, oh, I got to protect it, Lord. I can't. We got to protect what I got. And God goes, no, I gave you that to be able to be used has a purpose. You know, you know that we do, you know, you pick on little kids, but we do that with a new car, right? You get a brand new car, what's the first rule? Nobody's eating in it. And then you go through a drive-thru. <laughs> you know, it's done, you know, your interior's done. Actually, the first car, we, we, we got a car, and we got a, 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 a car that I knew, we'll leave the brand out or whatever, that I knew was front-wheel drive, it's an American car, it's only going to go about 100,000 miles, but it's half the foreign car price, and so it didn't matter to me. Because I had little kids and baby formula and all that other stuff that ends up all over a car interior. I didn't want the car after 100,000 miles. You're not going to want to sit in it. It might run great, but that interior is probably deadly with what it's growing in the carpet. I mean, that was our thought. It's like, honey, we'll pay half the price. We'll get a new one when the kids are old enough not to spill. But we're still waiting for the kids to get old enough not to spill. So... And I, well, Heidi is still waiting for me to get old enough not to spill. But, you know, 
it's supposed to be used. You know, the car interior is going to get worn out. It's going to get used and, you know, save up some money after you pay it off and buy a new interior if it's still running good, I guess. I don't know. You kind of look at those things. But it, God wants to bless us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and those things shall be at her. And then it says, verse 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our Father's good pleasure. You think about what God takes joy in. This is, this is what brings pleasure to God? Who would have ever thought that, right? You think like God's up there and going, okay, well, you finally did good enough. I guess I'll let you have this. No, good pleasure. Just as a father, you, you know, you, you get your child a gift, you're excited about the gift to give them, you know? Finally, yes, I was able to, you know, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you everything he has, the kingdom of God, this whole different world, this whole different thought. And, and this word, it says, do not fear little flock. It, it actually is kind of like a double, it's more like do not fear little, little flock. You're just little. There's this whole world. There's all this big stuff. You don't have much. You don't have little. You're a little group of people. A little sheepfold. You're not impressing anybody. Right? Nobody would ever slow down to think second of you. You know? You're a David. Everybody passed you up. And God's going, no, I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give it to us. And... This next portion here is kind of interesting. It says, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old and a treasure in heaven that does not fail, but where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Now, sell what you have and give alms, or that word better translated is mercy. Give mercy. You know, we see it a lot of times in Scripture. It's it's. Towards the poor. So they say, you know, it's giving towards the poor or towards those less fortunate than you. But really, it means mercy, to give mercy. You know, um, when you come in and you look at this, and, you know, I don't, you know, teaching on tithing and those things, and people go, well, give, give, you know, give the Lord first, and He's going to bless you with treasures, and, you know, you know, Give to the Lord, He'll give you a hundredfold, so give me a hundred dollars now and you know, look at the car I drive so you can see how rich God makes you if you have enough faith in all this junk. You know, there's 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 ads I get. Some of the ads you get are how to grow your church, how to get over this number, how to get this. The other ads I get are how to get your congregation to tithe ten percent. If you can get a hundred percent, not even that, if you can get ninety percent of your congregation tithing ten percent, you know. I'm, I'll be dead truthful with you guys. If you guys, 10% is the Old Testament law, by the way, okay? If you guys all in here are faithfully tithing 10% and that's all you're doing as far as giving alms, I am very grieved. And if you can only give 1% and that's what you're doing, fine. The point is to give mercies, to give everything to God. That's Old Testament. Your whole life belongs to God. Again, God isn't a checklist and, oh, I gave my this or that. God requires your whole life. The hardest thing I've had many times, and it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, and that's where, you know, if you're rich, give alms, or if you're poor, give alms to somebody least than you. No, I, I, one of the things I love doing is going, when there's people around me that have wealth beyond me, I love blessing them. They don't, so don't expect it. It's so fun. Just to be able to find a way. God, show me how to bless this. How do you bless somebody that has everything? Or a lot of everything. And they don't know that they're miserable. Right? It so wakes them up when here this person that very definitely doesn't have what I have, doesn't have what I've obtained, and blesses them, you know? In our culture, very much we, we rely on when somebody comes up and you judge somebody, it's based on what they have. Right? And what they do. So what they might have later, right? Somebody might not have a lot, but if he's a doctor and he's 26, you know, well, later in life, you're going to pay off some student loans, maybe. You might have some money later. 
We look at this, right? Other cultures, they don't care about that. You want, it would be rude for me to ask you what you did for a living. I'll ask you who your father is, what village you came from. That's who makes you up, is who you view yourself. In America, we view ourselves by our job and by the things we have. You know, and, and, and you kind of, you know, and more importantly, depending on what you have, if I want to be friends with you or... You're going to be asking me for stuff, or can I ask you for stuff? It's probably the real question, sadly, right? I want to know what kind of, well, we'll be close friends because you have a lot. Wait, wait, wait. You might be asking me for stuff. Maybe I don't want to be, I mean, it's kind of weird how we, I guess, size each other up in that sense and, and kind of bring up those questions. And when you slow down and you look at loving people mercifully, you know, we were at men's Bible study and it talks about, how we were going through and, and how the, the Seth Thessalonians, they were known throughout the world because of their faith through persecution. Because they were being persecuted and they still received Christ through persecution. And the conversation became, you know, many times we were worried about sharing the gospel with people around us. Because it was talking about, hey, time is short. Jesus is going to return. Don't worry about the persecution that's coming because, hey, look at the end of the road. You know, it's the thought of, if you're on a bus that's heading off a cliff, are you worried about what people think of you? Or are you telling them, there's a cliff ahead, we need to get off the bus? You don't care. Yeah. Oh, do you like my hair today? No, we're going to die in a minute. Get off the bus. Well, part of sharing that and being willing to is, are you willing to sacrifice to serve somebody in that way? You know, you sit down and go, well, man, I, you know, there's people in my life that I need to be a witness to. How can I witness to them? How can I serve them in a sacrificial way? You know, that's the greatest witness. What did Christ do for us? He suffered and he sacrificed. If you want God to use you greatly, be willing to suffer and sacrifice. And not just of your finances. Trust it. Do whatever God calls you to do with it. How about your time? How about actually sitting down? In our culture, people are willing. We have abundance of money and help people out. How about sitting down with time? People don't have time for anybody these days. You know what I mean? I'm going to pull out my phone. And even we've shifted as a culture, I think, you know, you sit here and you go, okay, you know, I don't see kids as covetousness as, as much. I think it's really confusing our world right now. These kids don't covetous. There, there, there's not a lot of, the anxiety isn't based on what they have anymore. Right? When we were in high school, you wanted a car, you wanted your friends, you wanted the best car. Kids don't even care to get their license really anymore. They might worry about what kind of phone they have. But more importantly, they're worried about what? It's hypocrisy. What I look like on my phone. The you I want everybody to see. We got an, you know all these apps that change people's face and do all this other stuff that I haven't figured out. That's why you can see my pictures online. They look just as ugly as a real one. You know, no confusion. But there, they got all these things right. It's like they. How many apps are there for straight out hypocrisy with selfies? I mean, they're everywhere, right? I think we're shifting as a generation. Why? Because we have basically everything we need. That's not important. What they feel the value is how people see them. And so we're going to put on a fake this, a fake that. And even if it's a video game, even more, right? Now i got an avatar, and it depends what he has in the game. And, and, and really, it's based in nothing. Nothing. The whole value of their life, somebody could accidentally delete off the iCloud, and they don't exist anymore. I mean, it's scary, right? Like when Farmville came out, who would have thought you would have spent real money for fake money on a video game? Boy, I wish I would have created that. It's just insane. You know, things change. I was listening to Joe Foose. He goes, yeah, all kinds of things change. When I was a kid, man, I was, you know, acid. And when I was on drugs, acid was awesome, man. Now I'm old. I'm looking for antacid. You know, when I was a kid, I was looking for a hip place to go hang out. Now I'm looking for a hip replacement. I mean, things change as you get older, you know. And that's the thing is, when you look at giving alms and mercy, this is the rule of how much you should give. God, what do you want me to do today? How much time? God, I, I'm on a press. I'm on time. Do I, you know what? I can slow down. I'm going to spend an extra 15 minutes with my wife and just make sure she's doing okay and love on her. I'm in the grocery store line. I'm sitting there. I talk to a person. Simple thing. Is there anything I can pray for you? What's amazing with that is we, we go out with E. It always amazes me. 
you get people, right? When you ask somebody what they'll pray for, sometimes you get, eh, most of them answer, like 99% of them answer. And guess what they ask for? Another dollar? No, I'm, you know, wish I could get a No, my sister's in this situation. She's on drugs. I'm praying. I'm, I'm concerned for her. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in anything. But this grieves me. This horrible thing. My husband, my child, my... They will share... People will share the most personal things with you as a total stranger. And sometimes, you know, they're kind of looking over their shoulder at their manager, and I love just taking a wall. Cool, let's pray for that now. That's what the world's hungry for. Why do they share those things with you? Because nobody else has ever bothered to ask. Not even the people around them. How are you doing? What's, what's, I mean, because really when I ask you, hey, how can I pray for you? What am I asking? What is the greatest concern in your life? And this is what I, we do with those concerns. We trust them to God. You know why? Because he loves us. He's going to take care of you. So God shouldn't just be first in our lives. He should be all the way through our lives. We should be focused on investing in eternal things. Investing in eternal things. I, I love scripture. When you go through it, you can tell me one thing God could not give you, just create and give you tomorrow. You need money? He can give it to you tomorrow. He can provide that. The, the, you know, you sit down and you look at it, you talk about giving. The church needs, God takes care of. I don't, I don't, I don't even, don't pay attention to who gives. I don't have a record of that. Don't want to have a record of that because if anything, that's going to cause me a problem. I might look at somebody different. I don't want to do that. One of the things talking with pastors, I'd love to have more time to study the word of God. But at the same time, I do not want a salary from the church because then there's no way anybody could ever question my motive and I can't even question my own motives. I'm a sinful man, right? Oh, yeah, we should do this as a ministry. Is that to get a raise, Tim? I want to, I'm praying for God to come up with another way. So I got a gold mine, maybe a gold in it. I don't know. Just it'd be great to be able to serve the Lord and not have to worry about you know, that coming from there. But even then, we still can trust God for all our needs. He's going to meet our needs. He's going to provide for what we have. And if you give it away, it's not like you're going to be lacking God, I only have so much time during the week. And you're going to find out, wait, I was wasting a lot of time in the week on things that have no value. God can give you, create anything he needed. He can provide anything you need through many ways. And there's been times in our lives where we've been tied on money or in need, and God provides exactly what we need when we need it. Like, wow, that was a blessing. We needed to cover this bill. God provided for it. We stepped out in faith and we, you know, there, I love financial peace universities. Definitely plan, have a good plan and all that, but always keep those things in balance. The one thing I don't like about that is it takes out God in some areas. It's good financial advice, but many times God asked me to do bad financial decisions. We're in this situation. I got to pay rent next week, but this person needs help now. God, should we help them? Yeah, we're going to help them. How are we going to have money for rent next? God, you told us to do this. We'll trust you with the rest. And guess what? God's always got it there when it was needed. Maybe not as on time as I'd like. <laughs> Fifteen minutes earlier would have saved me a ton of stress, Lord. You know, but he always provides what we need when we need it. You know, we, we sit down and we, you know, just always, always does. Always been faithful in that. And, and I think we can get so focused on this world and what's here, we totally miss out on the blessing. The only thing God does not create more of and just take is us. He doesn't force himself upon us. He freely offers a relationship with us. The only thing he values in this world is us. He was willing to lay heaven aside for us, for you and me. He's willing to give up everything for that. The only thing God values in this world is you. Love the Lord your God with all your body, with all your mind, and all your soul. And then, love others as yourself. Because he loves you. And he loves that person next to you. He loves that person you just like at work. You know, what does the Bible say about your enemies? Love your enemies. Why? Because he loves them. 
value those things. When you slow down, don't miss the value on things. We've had you know, different people in our house and stuff, and I sit there and you look at the situations, and sometimes I feel sad for the people in their lives that have not taken the time to care for them or not taken the time. You're missing out on the most amazing thing. People think we're psycho. We've ran into this a couple times. Why have you helped this person? Why are you taking people in? Because, you know, we chop them up and we eat them. They taste good. I mean, people think all kinds of crazy things. We're stealing their kids. I mean, it, it's just, we, we look nuts. No, we just are of a different kingdom. We're of a different world. We found a different value. You know, I've lost my older brother. I lost my dad. I lost my younger brother. And you sit here and go, but yet, who, what have I gained? Tony. There's a brother. Zach, there's a brother. I mean, my family's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. You know? I love Zach. But Zach's hardest problem is trying to figure out who I am. Or somewhere he's trying to call me boss or friend or dad or pastor. He's just lost. I love it. I got him all confused. It's even confusing for me. Which hat I should have on at the moment. Like, no. But isn't that amazing when you slow down and think about it? The family, the family we have here, and the fact you can have on people, that you have truth. Take time to value those people. Take time to value those people in your life. And where God's placed you. Even the ones you hate at work that are driving you nuts. Try this crazy thing. Find the person that you least like and say, God, show me how I can love that person. Don't stop there. By sacrificing and serving them. And suddenly your heart's going to change towards them. And suddenly you might gain a sister or a brother in the Lord. You know, nobody hears that complicated, already kicked you out. No. <laughs> no, there's been people, though. I can think back, and I'll leave some nameless. None are, no, none are in this fellowship right now. But, I mean, I sat down and went, like, how are you this person in the church, and I'm supposed to serve them? God, you need to change my heart. And I look back and go, man, what a blessing that I got to know them. Been times of that. Let's close in prayer. Gary, come up for final worship here. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful that you love us enough that we have your word, that we have truth, that we will not be deceived by this world, that we can have our eyes open, that you care enough, Father, to share these things with us, that you can just open our heart and our eyes. I pray just for me, for all of us, Father, that we would have our eyes opened just a glimpse of how much you love and care for us. That we would not just be an anxious child and worried about things, that we just trust you, our Father, who's a loving Father, who's a faithful Father. Just how many people you've been faithful in your word and you left us just a record of showing us how loving and awesome God you are. Even just your creation, how you care for everything, Father. Even the birds of the air and even you know when each fall and how much more you care about us, Father. Help us to believe and walk in how much you love us this week. That we would not believe any lies. That we would not be robbed of how awesome you are. How much you love us and how much you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.